are in our fourth week of our Fully Live series, so I want to jump right into this statement we've been reading, and I'm going to read it, and then just ask if you guys will partner with me in it. So it says this, daily I will be grateful, faithful, and healthy. Weekly I will commit to Christ-centered community, gathering large, gathering small, stepping out in faith to gather more. Together we will pray, give, serve, and love more than ever before. This day, this week, together we will be fully alive. If you're with me, say, let's do this. So, like I said, we've been in this series called Fully Alive, and week one, we heard that God has a vision for you and for our church, and it's to know God, it's to find freedom, to discover purpose, to make a difference. The next week, we talked about how can we know God, and we talked about taking little steps and making just little tweaks and little decisions to turn towards a better way of living, and as we turn towards those, we can know God better. Last week, Pastor Willie did a great job. It was fun having him up here, and he talked about community and and gathering together. And as we gather together in smaller groups, we can begin to find a a new level of freedom. We can express sometimes our pains, our frustrations, our hurts, our wins to each other. Um, And speaking on that side note, so I've also been kind of mentioning, hey, engage in generosity and encourage you guys to be consistent in your, in your tithing and giving. And I want to just give you, we talked about groups last week. Um, our staff and myself have been calling around to different community like organizations and outreaches and, and different places and just asking them, you know, what can we do to be a blessing to you, if anything? Um, because we don't want to be a church that's just for a relevant church. We want to be a church that's for our community. And so we've been just trying to get some ideas. And we might not be able to do everything, but maybe we can do something. And so I called, and I called just right over here to the Merriman house and asked him, hey, what's something maybe we can do to bless you? And as I was talking on the phone to her, she said, well, I'd actually, we're trying to get a, a Bible study together. And I was like, so basically, we're trying to start a small group with something. We've already got the women, but the books are about $20 a piece, and there's 15 to 20 women, and they just can't afford those books. And I said, guess what? We have a group of people that can buy those for you. So you guys purchase the book so that they can have a small group together and start finding freedom. So when you give here, it's making a difference in our community. It's making a difference here, but it's also making a difference outside of these walls. So keep it up. But again, then we go from there. And if you follow the trajectory of no God, find freedom. It's today we are going to be talking about purpose. We're going to see what scripture has to say about discovering purpose. But to start, I want to share a question. I want to share kind of this incident story. Um, And it's a question that I asked two or three weeks ago a bunch of people, a whole bunch of people. And almost always, this is exactly how this went. Here's the question. I asked them, what is the purpose of shoes? And I got kind of that same response, a little chuckle and a look like, what are you, what, what are you talking about? So I'd, I'd walk up to just, you know, random people, co-workers, um, people in, you know, church settings, just different areas, a waitress, I think I asked, a server somewhere. And I said, hey, I have a question. What's the purpose of shoes? And at first they look at you and they're kind of giving you this like, and they go, huh? Because everybody's afraid of being trapped in a dad joke. And so they don't want to actually say anything because they're like, oh, I don't want to fall into your trap. It's not a trap. And I tell them, it's not a trap. I just want to know what's the purpose of shoes? almost every time, to protect your feet. That's what they'd always say, to protect your feet. And then 
depending on the person, they'd go, well, you know, and, and then they'd go on this thing about how sneakers are do this and you can wear heels and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, that's great. They had all these other discussions about shoes. But the main purpose everybody kept saying was to protect your feet. And this question came to my mind because a while back, I was with my teenage daughters and we were at our church in Clarksville. And so they're with a group of their friends and we're walking through the lobby. And two of the boys that are with them are walking in a very interesting way. And I'm like, why are they walking like this? They looked like demented penguins, okay? They're walking like this, like flat-heeled, weird walking. I'm like, why are they walking like that? And I thought, you know what? I'm not up on TikTok trends. Maybe this is some weird thing that they've watched and seen. I'm old. I don't know what they're doing, but they look dumb. <laughs> and we, they're walking like this, and I'm just walking alongside. I've, okay, whatever. Maybe they're just teenagers, and they're weird. I get it. I was that way. But we get to the stairs. So there's stairs at our church. We turn the corner. We get to the stairs. And you would have thought that we just got to Mount Everest with these boys. They're looking at these stairs, and then they start going up the stairs, holding on the rail, and walking on the stairs like there's a magical sheet of ice that if you're over the age of 40, you can't see, apparently. And I'm like, what are they doing? And like, they, are they hurt? I'm like, they're not, obviously not hurt. They just look stupid. And I'm like, why aren't their friends telling them you look stupid? I mean, I'm not into bullying, but when you look stupid, your friends are, should be there to help you out. <laughs> Find freedom from your dumb. Like, you look dumb. What are you doing? Finally, they get to the top of the stairs, and I'm like, okay, I, I got to know, why are they walking like this? So I go, boys, why are you walking like, like zombied penguins? Like your feet are going to fall off. What is wrong with you? And almost the whole group turns to me and says the same thing. They don't want to crease their shoes. Now, don't get me wrong. Their sneakers were fire. Like, they, they were on point. They looked like they were probably expensive. But they would rather walk around like, I don't, I don't know what this is, than to just put a crease in their shoe. They would rather look dumb than to have their shoes have a little, like a sh every shoe does. And I thought to myself, they've totally missed the point of what the purpose are for shoes. And as I thought about that, that's what kind of struck in my mind. I thought this would be a good maybe beginning to us talking about purpose for our lives. And I told my wife what I was going to talk about. And, and she goes, don't you pick on those teenagers. And I was like, what? And she goes, you yourself in your office have two pair of shoes sitting on a shelf that you'll never wear. You've never worn. They're just shoes on display. And I was like, oh, man. She caught, Whatever. She goes, they don't have creases. I'm like, yeah, they don't have creases. You're right. But the truth is, shoes, the original design was to be worn, to protect our feet. And along the way, we've, you know, there's people that collect them and there's all different kinds of shoes and types of shoes and made for specific purposes and for specific reasons. But the original intent is to protect feet. And if I were to ask a group of Christians this question, why did God make you? So what's the purpose of you? I'm sure I'd hear all kinds of things. Great things. Like, hey, 
He created me to have a relationship with him, to worship, to love. And those sound good, and you can find some backing in Scripture, but the original, original design and intent, why did God make you? Because that's not exactly what the original intent was. So today we're going to go to Scripture, and we're going to see about God's original purpose. But before we go there, let's pray. God, what a great opportunity we have to come, to worship, to hear from you. God, I pray that you would speak to your people. Open our hearts. God, and I pray that you would just allow your word to speak loud. God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. So let's go to the beginning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. <clears throat> It says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all the animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Skip ahead. We're talking about him placing Adam. Genesis 2, chapter 15. It says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and to take care of it. Our original design has a lot of things that are about carrying images, carrying God's image of being a reflection of him on this earth and working and ruling. So I kind of put it like this, like this. Our original design was to do this, to reflect the love and creativity of God through faithful service and work. We were created to carry the image of God through service and work. God put him in the garden to work. He put him there to serve, to work, to serve a purpose, to make a difference. God put you in this world to serve, to work. You have a purpose and it's to make a difference. And please hear me on this because this may be a brand new thought to you. Work is not a bad thing. Work is a part of God's original design. Serving is a part, it's, it's, you see it. He's put him in the garden to do what? To work. He created us to rule. That means if we have to rule, it means we have to take care of. Sometimes we think of work as a punishment. God didn't think of work as a punishment. That was something that he got to do with us. It was a way for us to have relationship with him. Now sin has entered the world, and work is now full of strife, pain, grief. There's things that accompany it that aren't part of the original design. But I don't ever want us to misunderstand. I mean, we read right there at the beginning. We were created to be image bearers of God, to serve and to work. And Paul reiterates this. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork created, in Christ Jesus to do what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Now, I'm going to preach and speak to you guys about serving and work, but it's important as you hear this message, I want you to understand this. Serving and working are not what saves us, okay? They are not what saves us. That came from the work that Jesus did on the cross. Jesus' work on the cross saves us. The service and works is what allows us to have a deeper relationship with Jesus. It brings purpose to our life. It takes faith for us to do it. 
Doing good doesn't make us good. Okay? Doing good doesn't make us good. Only Jesus makes us good. Doing good doesn't make us good. If we think that, that's religion. That's, if I check the boxes, I get to heaven. That's religion. That's not what we do here. Okay? But doing good does give us opportunities to partner with God. That's relationship. So I'm going to talk to you guys a lot about service and work, but I want you to make sure you're in the right frame of mind. This isn't what saves you. This is what you do because you are followers and you're image bearers of Christ. For those of you that aren't followers or, Im- or followers of Jesus Christ, hopefully today you'll understand that he has a purpose for your life. He gives you a gift freely called forgiveness. Then he wants to give you a purpose to give you work and service to make an impact in this world. So I really want us to be people who aren't focused on self-seeking religious ways that we also, because we can fall into a trap sometimes as Christians, is we start doing service and work to earn like Christian brownie points. And we almost want badges on our, like I do all these things so that we can feel better about ourselves instead of that we're doing something better for someone else. So if we've gotten to that trap, let's not. And other times we think, well, I'll do just this amount because it makes us feel at least a little bit good about ourselves. And it's amazing when we do good, how we feel good, because that's how God made us. There's nothing wrong with feeling good when you do good. Otherwise, God created you that when you make an impact and a difference, it feels good. It's to reiterate, to continue to do that. But if we do just enough, we're like, I'll step out in faith just enough. We're more focused on comfort than compassion. And we cannot be more comfortable than we are compassionate. Uh, We don't want to be a church that just comes and we're comfortable sitting in our nice plus chairs. We want to be a church that's full of compassion. And that means sometimes doing things that take work. So as we talk about discovering purpose today, I want to take a look at some people in scripture and how they were simply just doing work. It wasn't even like they were doing anything big, grand. It wasn't even anything specific that God had told them. They were just showing up to be faithful and to serve. And how God, when they were doing that, he began to unfold a plan in their life. The first person I want to take a look at is a woman named Ruth. So if you aren't familiar with Ruth, um, you can find her story in the book of Ruth. It's awesome. She's got her own book about this. It's in Ruth, okay? And I'm going to catch you kind of, I'm going to catch you up and then we're going to read some from that story, but... As the story begins, there's a great famine. So there's no food. The land runs out of food and it sweeps the land. And Ruth is living. She's gotten married and she's living in a land that's not her own. And all the men in her life have died. Her husband, father-in-law, brother-in-law, these men have all died. And now she's left with her mother-in-law, Naomi, and her sister-in-law. And nothing seems to be going Well, she's in a foreign land and her mother-in-law has become depressed and she's certain, and it says in there, she's certain that the Almighty has just forgotten about her. And in her depression, she actually says, I want my name to be changed to Mara, which just means, she said, I want my name to be changed to Mara, which means bitterness. So she said, just call me bitterness. That's not a good place to be in. That's a deep level of hurt. And some of you may have walked in here feeling that way today. Maybe you're in that, man, God, what else can go wrong? Are you serious? Another thing. And you may not be 
out there saying, just call me bitterness, but bitterness is starting to sink in. And you may be ready to just to give up and to walk away. And that's honestly, that's where Naomi was. And so Naomi, she looks at her daughter-in-law, Ruth, and she tells her, there's no reason. You're not from this land. There's no reason for you to stay here. She looks at both of her daughter-in-laws and tells them, just, just take care and go. And she actually says, leave me and just let me die. Go back to your homeland. And this probably would have been easier for Ruth. But instead of leaving the side of her mother-in-law, she does something different. Ruth decides to serve her. Instead of joining in the depression, instead of becoming bitter, instead of sorrow, Ruth goes back to the original design of God. And even though it was a God that she didn't know, God, it's, his purpose has been placed in every single man to work, to serve, to make a difference. So she steps through her worry and she steps into service. And at some point, she must have asked herself a question. And it's a question that's actually the title. We're, you know, we're well into the, the message today, but it's the title of my message today. And it's a question that I want us to just ring throughout our brains. And it's this. She had to have asked herself at one point, what can I do? Everybody say, say, what can I do? Everything seemed lost. Everything seemed a mess. But at some point she had to have just said, okay, what can I do? I can't do a lot, but what can I do? So Ruth chapter two, starting in verse two. It says, and Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. So she's like, I'm just going to go to the fields and when they drop stuff, I'll just pick that up so they can bring it back to bring you some food. And Naomi said to her, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out, entered a field and began to glean behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she was working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. So she goes, she's like, I'm just going to serve. I'm going to work, do something outside of myself to help someone else. And as she works in the field, Ruth catches the attention of a man named Boaz. He's a man of great wealth and he's the owner of the field. So let's drop down to verse five. It says, Boaz asked the, har- the, Boaz asked the overseer of his harvesters, who does that young woman belong to? Ruth must have been good looking, I'm guessing, because he notices her. And the overseer replied, she's a Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. Whenever you are thirsty, go and get a drink from the water jars the men have filled. So he sees her. He takes notice of her. As you go on, it actually says he tells him to drop some more and jump down to verse 17. So Ruth gleaned. So she's gathering all the way until evening. She threshed the barley. So she, she gleaned it, but then she had to beat it. So she had to continue to work. She threshed the barley she had gathered and amounted to about an ephah, so an ephah of grain. And an ephah of grain weighs about 40 pounds. So in one day, she got about 40 pounds of grain. Think about you guys that go and maybe you get rice or flour. 40 pounds is a lot that she, she got in just that one day. Ruth went to work 
and a new plan began to unfold in her life. And as the story concludes, there's a, there's a whole lot that goes on, but in chapter 4, in verse 17, eventually Boaz takes Ruth to be his wife. Yeah, Wu was right. And Ruth has a son. In verse 17, it says, and they named him Obed. You're like, okay, that's great. But it says, he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Not just a guy named David, this would be King David, who would also be in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Ruth simply went to work to serve her mother-in-law. And all of a sudden, she's grafted into a brand new plan. And she's now a part of the lineage of Jesus Christ. God's plan unfolded in a whole new way when she simply went to work. There's something about serving outside of ourselves. There's something about doing some work, about asking, hey, what can I do? I'm sure it was difficult. The world maybe around her seemed hopeless, but she had to go back to work. When your marriage is a mess and seems hopeless, how can I serve? Maybe you're going to school or a job that you don't know, it's just, it's hard. Okay, how can I serve? How can I do, what can I do? Let that become something that just continues to ring through your mind. Because maybe you can't change everything, but what can I do? What can I do? Ruth went to work. And now she became the great-grandmother of King David. Speaking of David, he's another example of someone who served a purpose and saw God's incredible plan unfold. And his story may be something that maybe you can learn from. Maybe you're not in this place of like, give up or worry or depression. But at the beginning of his story, most of us are familiar with this. He's a young man and many say, you're not ready. You're not good enough. Who do you think you are? You don't have the, the, you don't have the stature. You don't have the size. And a lot of times that's where we come at it. Who am I to do this? I don't, I'm not ready. I'm not trained. I'm not prepared. I'm not old enough. I'm not big enough. I don't have what it takes. We get stuck in comparison again, instead of moving with compassion. And so I want to encourage you, if you're stuck in that space, instead of just saying, you know, what can I do? Who am I? And you're saying, you see how I said, what can I do? But we can say it in a kind of a sarcastic way. That it has to be, what can I do? And here's what we do sometimes. We, we instead, we get stuck. And we ask ourselves, what difference can I make? Or even worse, we say this, well, when I blank, then I'll blank. When I, when I have a little bit more time, then I'll serve. When I learn a little bit more about my Bible, then I'll host a small group. When I finally have money, then I'll be generous. If you keep just doing the when I, then I, again, you'll never actually step out and start to work. Change that. What can I do? And this is a story that many of you are familiar with. David was simply taking care of sheep. His brothers are off in battle. And it's a battle that's taking place and things are not going well. There's a giant named Goliath who's mocking God, mocking David, mocking the people of God, mocking his brothers. And David is miles away at home with dad taking care of sheep. He's a young man who's left at home 
because those who are more equipped are out doing something significant. And some of us may be in that place where we feel like, well, everyone else is doing something meaningful and I'm not. Well, David got a job to do. And it was just simply to go to work. 1 Samuel 17, starting in verse 17. Now Jesse said to his son David, take this ephah of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. 1 Samuel 17, verse 17 and 18. It's that word again, ephah. Remember, that's about 40 pounds. Sometimes we've heard this story, and I've heard this story, and I've, even, I've taught this little kids and, and thought about David bringing like a lunch to his brothers. And we think about like a Lunchables or a, a box of pizza. Like he's carrying Happy Meals. Okay, it's an ephah of grain. It's almost 40 pounds of grain. And he didn't live just around the corner. He was miles away from this battlefield. It was a significant amount of weight that he had to carry. And when I realized this, and when, when you think about this, both, both Ruth and David are carrying this same amount of weight. And I think there's something that we can take away from both Ruth and David having to move almost 40 pounds of grain. And it's this. Sometimes you may have to carry the weight of service before you can experience the fullness of God's purpose. Let me say it again. Sometimes... You may have to carry the weight of service before you can experience all that God really has for you. It's not just a sack lunch. It's 40 pounds, and whether that's in a cart or on your back, that's a lot to go for miles that David had to go just to bring him to his brothers. He didn't know he was going to go there and what was going to take place. He was just like, okay, you gave me a job to do. Let's go. Let's get to work. David arrives, and we know how the story unfolds. He comes to serve, but he ends up slaying a giant. Now, your purpose isn't probably going to be to cut a, a, a head off of a giant. Please don't go cut anybody's head off. That's weird, okay? But God does want you to live a life of victory. And I believe that begins with stepping out and working, serving. It's the original design. Scripture is rich and powerful, and I love that God shows us time after time some of the same type of things to reinforce what He has for us. There's story after story. Let me go through them real quick, and each one can speak to us differently. In Judges chapter six, Gideon. He, there's Midianites, and there he's afraid, and he's he's just threshing wheat. He's trying to get as much food as possible, and while he's working threshing wheat, guess who shows up? God. And so even when you're fearful and doubting, because it took him some time to actually step out and do something, but even when you're fearful and doubting, you eventually have to just say, okay, I'm going to work. What can I do? In Luke chapter 5, Peter has failed at a night in fishing. He was out there fishing all night long. He could have walked away from his boats, but it says he was cleaning his nets. So he had failed, but he was cleaning his nets means that he was going to go back out there and do it again. So even when you have failed, Sometimes you have to just say, okay, what can I do? I can clean my nets. And guess who showed up? Jesus got in Peter's boat. God's plan began to unfold when Peter went to work. Moses had murdered someone in Egypt and had run away and was living in the wilderness. And he could have just had a pity party and been out there and just given up. But it says he found a wife and he went to work and he's caring for another man's sheep. 
And as he's caring for this flock out in the wilderness, a burning bush shows up and God shows up as he's doing work. First Kings. So when you feel sometimes, sometimes we get in this, we think our, our past defines us like Moses. Nah, God's got a better future. Get to work. In First Kings, Elisha, he's plowing and it says it's a large field. It says it by how much he's plowing. If it's a large field, if you have a large field, it usually means you come from wealth. And it says he wanted to go back and he wanted to say bye to his mom and dad, which also means if they had wealth, he probably didn't need to be out there towards the end of the time serving, but he was out there doing it. He was out there working. And when you feel, sometimes some of us feel entitled, like we've done enough, we have enough, we deserve a break. Man, what can I do? All these instances, people are just they're working, they're serving, they're doing something that's impacting the world. They're making some, they're doing their best to make some kind of a difference and God shows up. You see it time after time after time in scripture. Don't be afraid. Don't make work a four-letter word, okay? It is a four-letter word, but don't make it a four-letter word. It's not foul. It's something God intended us to do. When you start serving God's original purpose, when you start serving outside of yourself, when you start saying, what can I do? And you develop that kind of relationship, you'll hear from God in a new way. You open yourself up to hear from God. Sometimes we're stuck waiting for God to show up and he's waiting for you to serve. Sometimes we want to hear from God and he's saying, well, you're not doing anything. I've said this before, but God will work through open vessels and open hands. And when he sees motion, he's like, okay, I can continue that motion. But when there's no motion, I'll go find the one that's moving. I'll go find the one that's working. Maybe they're not working on the right thing, but they're doing something. And I can refocus that something into something new. So let's get to serving. Let's get to work. And in Matthew 25, I've been kind of studying this parable we're going we're gonna to dive into it here in a, a couple weeks. But in Matthew chapter 25, there's a parable about a man. So Jesus is telling a story, and it's a man who's going on a journey. And before he leaves on this journey, he gathers some of his servants, and he gives them bags of gold. And it, Jesus says, Matthew chapter 25, verse 14, it says, Again, it'll be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. And the parable goes on, and there's a, a, a great message that we can get from that. But just this very first verse can speak volumes. And here's why. It says, he called who? His servants. He called the people that were serving in his house to de- give them great wealth. They could not become stewards if they weren't first ser- servants. Sometimes we want the bags of gold, but we're not actually serving we want God to show up and give us something, but we're not even serving in the house that we call our home church. The house of God. We want to be stewards of what God's grace and his goodness. And he's saying, man, I can't have you be a steward if you're not first a servant. And there's so much more to this parable, but man, just the beginning statement, they were servants in the house. And then he gave them the bags of gold. He didn't run outside and go find this random guy walking down the street and just say, hey, here's this. He looked for his servants first. And I think Jesus is right now, he's like, okay, where are my servants at? I have something for them to steward. 
that I want to give it to my servants. Before we can be entrusted, we must first learn to serve. Here's the truth. We're going to move forward with being a church that's for Paducah. We're going to be a church that's for our city. We're going to be a church that makes a difference in this community. But it's really hard to be a church that's for Paducah if we're not for each other. We've got to be a church that's for relevant church as well. That serves, that makes a difference, makes an impact with each other. Sometimes it can be easy to say, we're going to do this project over at some other place and we'll get a little group together. But man, there is a project that happens here every Sunday, every Wednesday, all throughout the week that you guys, we need you guys to step up and say, okay, God, I'm going to take a step. I'm going to get to work. I'm going to do something. So let's step up. Let's discover God's purpose. And here's where I want us to start. If maybe you don't serve here, Maybe you've never decided, hey, I want to take a step and actually do some work in my home church. I want to give you a starting place. A lot of our teams could use people. Let me tell you, if you can sing or play keys, if you're a musical, talk to Kayla. But I'm going to give you a, a, a place that I want you to start. Let's make our kids and student ministry a beacon of hope and light in this community. Let's make our kids and student ministry just an outstanding place where kids and students can meet, know, and follow Jesus. If you don't know where to serve, serve with our kids or our students. I believe kids and students are the passion and the heart of God. God spent extra time with children, and you know how old most of those disciples were? Student age. If we want to capture the heart of Jesus, Let's make sure we're ministering to our kids and our students. That three-year-old, that nine-year-old, that 14-year-old, they need you in their life. And honestly, it's, it's a passion point for me. And it's not just because I did that ministry for a long time, but it's actually how God woke me up and spoke to me. It's how God's plan began to unfold in my life. I was in my early 20s. I'd been married for a couple of years. I made the joke last service because I got married basically outside the womb. So my wife and I have been married for a long time. Uh, the early 20s and a lot of people in their early 20s start to struggle with this. What's, what is the purpose? What is my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? And I had a guy at church just say, hey, would you and your wife just help with three-year-olds a couple times a month? And at that time, we were doing the Christian, Christian brownie points. We sat in service. We sang, lifted our hands, checked the boxes. That's great. But there's more. And I thought three-year-olds, the ones who still pee their pants, ask a billion questions, cry about random stuff. Okay, let's go. And we started serving three-year-olds. And as I started just simply serving three-year-olds, God began to speak. His plan began to unfold. Now, 20 years later, I'm up here speaking to you guys because I first started just serving with three-year-olds. You know where my favorite place is still to this day? When I'm back in my church, or even when I was here last week and Willie was preaching, you know who I want to be with? The three-year-olds. I love them. And I would encourage you guys, man, let's, let's, let's minister to our kids, to our students. 
You may think, I can't, man, I, I am not good with that. I can't do that. Jesus high-fived lepers and carried a cross. You can high-five a 15-year-old and you can pick up a two-year-old. You can carry a two-year-old around. They need you. They need you desperately. They are not church of tomorrow. They are now church. And every Wednesday and every Sunday, we talk about groups. Do you know what they do? They gather in groups. They're doing the thing. Right now, even over there, they sing a song or two, but then they gather in smaller little groups to talk about what they've talked about. Man, let's, let's just be the place that loves kids, that loves families, that loves students. When we do that, I guarantee you, I've seen it over and over. I've worked at many churches. I've been around many churches. When people start pouring into that, God says, aha, unleash the blessing. They love what I love, unleash the blessing. And that's what I want for this church. I want the bags of gold to come because we're serving and we're doing the thing that we were intended and made for. We're not living a life walking around like penguins. We're putting creases in our shoes. We're putting creases in our shoes. And you may be, all of us are a little different. And we have, you know, there's different shoes. They don't care what kind of shoe you are. You got to start taking a step. If you're a basketball shoe, hit the court. If you're a ballet slipper, get on stage and do a dance. If you're a high heel, strike a pose. I don't care. But you got to start taking steps. This past week, I was in Mexico at a fundraising event for a, a missions organization. And it's a missions organization that um, plants, doesn't plant churches, but they plant schools to train pastors. Because they said there's a lot of empty buildings and a lot of homes that you can start churches in, but there's not a lot of pastors to lead them. And so for decades, they've been launching these ministry schools all over the world. And hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have come to know Jesus because of this organization. And the leader of this organization is an 80-year-old man named Sam. And he's been leading it for decades. And Sam is crazy. But the thing he's crazy about most is Jesus. And he's on stage still in his mid-80s and he's jumping around and he's excited and he's telling stories about what God is doing. He's weeping over the lost. And I'm like, where did that start? And I guarantee you, it just started with a step. Started with saying, okay, I'm gonna get to work. My wife and I, we were walking around and we noticed all the little impacts and footprints in different things in the sand. As you're walking along the beach, you see sandal footprints and you see feet and you see sneakers. The only way we can make an imprint is if we start taking a step. The only way we leave a legacy is if we start moving. I want you guys to be people of impact, a church of impact. We have to start taking steps. Follow the master, Jesus. Jesus took the ultimate step, stepped down from heaven here onto earth, put sandals on his feet and stepped out to serve, to love, to teach, to correct, to guide. And eventually those sandals were taken off and his feet were nailed to a cross. He gave his life 
to set us free from the grips of sin. Again, that is a free gift that he's given to us. And now if we accept that gift, he says, awesome. Now will you please partner with me to make an impact and a difference. Take a step. So guys, today, it's time. Let's get to work. When you see your shoes, don't be walking around like that. Get some creases. When you come to church, don't just be a butt warmer in a seat. Let's go to work. 